part three of part seventh of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Estelle Jobson. Trilby by George de Maurier. Part seventh, part three. The wound was a slight one. The doctor who attended Svengali described the wife as being quite imbecile, no doubt from grief and anxiety. But she never left her husband's bedside for a moment, and had the obedience and devotion of a dog. When the night came round for the postponed debut, Svengali was allowed by the doctor to go to the theatre, but he was absolutely forbidden to conduct. His grief and anxiety at this were uncontrollable. He raved like a madman, and Monsieur J was almost as bad. Monsieur J had been conducting the Svengali banded rehearsals during the week, in the absence of its master. An easy task. It had been so thoroughly drilled, and knew its business so well that it could almost conduct itself, and it had played all the music it had to play, much of which consisted of accompaniments to La Svengali's songs, many times before. Her repertoire was immense, and Svengali had written these orchestral scores with great care and felicity. On the famous night it was arranged that Svengali should sit in a box alone exactly opposite his wife's place on the platform, where she could see him well, and a code of simple signals was arranged between him and Monsieur J, and the band, so that virtually he might conduct himself from his box, should any hesitation or hitch occur. This arrangement was rehearsed the day before, a Sunday, and had turned out quite successfully, and La Svengali had sung in perfection in the empty theatre. When Monday evening arrived, everything seemed to be going smoothly, the house was soon crammed to suffocation, all but the middle box on the grand tier. It was not a promenade concert, and the pit was turned into guinea stalls. The promenade concerts were to begin a week later. Right in the middle of these stalls sat the Laird and Taffy and little Billy. The band came in by degrees and tuned their instruments. Eyes were constantly being turned to the empty box, and people wondered what royal personages would appear. Monsieur J. took his place amid immense applause and bowed in his inimitable way, looking often at the empty box. Then he tapped and waved his baton, and the band played his Hungarian dance music with immense success. When this was over there was a pause, and soon some signs of impatience from the gallery. Monsieur J. had disappeared. Taffy stood up, his back to the orchestra, looking round. Someone came into the empty box and stood for a moment in front, gazing at the house. A tall man, deathly pale, with long black hair and a beard. It was Svengali. He caught sight of Taffy and met his eyes, and Taffy said, Good God, look, look! Then little Billy and the lad got up and looked, and Svengali for a moment glared at them, and the expression of his face was so terrible with wonder, rage and fear that they were quite appalled. And then he sat down, still glaring at Taffy, the whites of his eyes showing at the top, and his teeth bared in a spasmodic grin of hate. Then thunders of applause filled the house, and turning round and seating themselves, Taffy and little Billy and the laird saw Trilby being led by Jay down the platform, between the players to the front, her face smiling rather vacantly, her eyes anxiously intent on Svengali in his box. She made her bows to right and left, just as she had done in Paris. 
The band struck up the opening bars of Ben Bolt, with which she was announced to make her debut. She still stared, but she didn't sing, and they played the little symphony three times. One could hear Monsieur J in a hoarse, anxious whisper, saying, Mais chantez donc, madame, pour l'amour de Dieu. Commencez donc, commencez. She turned round with an extraordinary expression of face and said, Chantez? Pourquoi donc voulez-vous que je chante, moi? Chantez quoi, alors? Mais Ben Bolt, parbleu, chantez. Ah, Ben Bolt, oui, je connais ça. Then the band began again, and she tried, but failed to begin herself. She turned round and said, Comment diable voulez-vous que je chante avec tout ce train qu'ils font, ces diables de musiciens? Mais, mon Dieu, madame, qu'est-ce que vous avez donc? cried Monsieur J. J'ai que j'aime mieux chanter sans toute cette satanée musique, parbleu. J'aime mieux chanter toute seule. Sans musique, alors. Mais chantez, chantez. The band was stopped. The house was in a state of indescribable wonder and suspense. She looked all round and down at herself and fingered her dress. Then she looked up to the chandelier with a tender, sentimental smile and began, Oh, don't you remember sweet Alice, Ben Bolt? Sweet Alice with hair so brown, who wept with delight when you gave her a smile. She had not got further than this when the whole house was in an uproar. Shouts from the gallery, shouts of laughter, hoots, hisses, catcalls, cockcrows. She stopped and glared like a brave lioness and called out, Qu'est-ce que vous avez donc tous, ta de vieille pomme cuite que vous êtes? Est-ce qu'on a peur de vous? And then suddenly, Why, you're all English, aren't you? What's all the row about? What have you brought me here for? What have I done, I should like to know? And in asking these questions, the depth and splendor of her voice were so extraordinary, its tone so pathetically feminine, yet so full of hurt and indignant command, that the tumult was stilled for a moment. It was the voice of some being from another world, some insulted daughter of a race more puissant and nobler than ours, a voice that seemed as if it could never utter a false note. Then came a voice from the gods in answer. Oh, you're English, are ye? Why don't you sing as you're bought to sing? You've got voice enough, anyhow. Why don't you sing in tune? Sing in tune, cried Trilby. I didn't want to sing at all. I only sang because I was asked to sing. That gentleman asked me, that French gentleman with the white waistcoat. I won't sing another note. Oh, you won't, won't you? Then let us have our money back, or we'll know what for. And again the din broke out, and the uproar was frightful. Monsieur J screamed out across the theatre, Svengali, Svengali, qu'est-ce qu'elle a donc votre femme? Elle est devenue folle. Indeed, she had tried to sing Ben Bolt but had sung it in her old way, as she used to sing it in the Quartier Latin, the most lamentably grotesque performance ever heard out of a human throat. Svengali! Svengali! shrieked poor Monsieur J, gesticulating towards the box where Svengali was sitting, quite impassable, gazing at Monsieur J, and smiling a ghastly sardonic smile, a rictus of hate and triumphant revenge, as if he was saying, I've got the laugh of you all this time. Taffy, the laird, little Billy, the whole house were now staring at Svengali, and his wife was forgotten. She stood vacantly looking at everybody and everything, 
the chandelier, Monsieur J, Svengali in his box, the people in the stalls, in the gallery, and smiling as if the noisy scene amused and excited her. Svengali, Svengali, Svengali! The whole house took up the cry derisively. Monsieur J led Madame Svengali away. She seemed quite passive. That terrible figure of Svengali sat still, immovable, watching his wife's retreat, still smiling his ghastly smile. All eyes were now turned on him once more. Monsieur J was then seen to enter his box with a policeman and two or three other men, one of them in evening dress. He quickly drew the curtains too. Then, a minute or two after, he reappeared on the platform, bowing and scraping to the audience, as pale as death, and called for silence. The gentleman in evening dress by his side, and this person explained that a very dreadful thing had happened, that Monsieur Svengali had suddenly died in that box of apoplexy or heart disease, that his wife had seen it from her place on the stage, and had apparently gone out of her senses, which accounted for her extraordinary behaviour. He added that the money would be returned at the doors, and begged the audience to disperse quietly. Taffy, with his two friends behind him, forced his way to a stage door he knew. The laird had no longer any doubts on the score of Trilby's identity. This Trilby, at all events. Taffy knocked and thumped till the door was opened, and gave his card to the man who opened it, stating that he and his friends were old friends of Madame Svengali, and must see her at once. The man tried to slam the door in his face, but Taffy pushed through and shut it on the crowd outside, and insisted on being taken to Monsieur J immediately, and was so authoritative and big, and looked such a swell that the man was cowed and led him. They passed an open door, through which they had a glimpse of a prostrate form on a table, a man partially undressed, and some men bending over him, doctors probably. That was the last they saw of Svengali. Then they were taken to another door, and Monsieur J came out, and Taffy explained who they were, and they were admitted. La Svengali was there, sitting in an armchair by the fire, while several of the band stood round gesticulating and talking German or Polish or Yiddish. Gekka on his knees was alternately chafing her hands and feet. She seemed quite dazed. But at the sight of Taffy, she jumped up and rushed at him, saying, Oh, Taffy, dear, oh, Taffy, what's it all about? Where on earth am I? What an age since we met. Then she caught sight of the laird and kissed him. And then she recognized little Billy. She looked at him for a long while in great surprise, and then shook hands with him. How pale you are. And so changed. You've got a moustache. What's the matter? Why are you all dressed in black with white cravats, as if you were going to a funeral? Where's Svengali? I should like to go home. Where... what do you call home? I mean, where is it? asked Taffy. C'est à l'hôtel de Normandie, dans le Haymarket. On va vous y conduire, madame, said Monsieur J. Oui, c'est ça, said Trilby. Hôtel de Normandie. Mais Svengali, où est-ce qu'il est? Et là, madame. Il est très malade. Malade? Qu'est-ce qu'il a? How funny you look with your moustache, little Billy. Dear, dear little Billy, so pale, so very pale. Are you ill too? Oh, I hope not. How glad I am to see you again. You can't tell. 
though I promised your mother I wouldn't. Never, never. Where are we now, dear little Billy? Monsieur J. seemed to have lost his head. He was constantly running in and out of the room, distracted. The bandsmen began to talk and try to explain in an incomprehensible French to Taffy. Gecko seemed to have disappeared. It was a bewildering business. Noises from outside, the tramp and bustle and shouts of the departing crowd, people running in and out and asking for Monsieur J., policemen, firemen, and what not. Then little Billy, who had been exerting the most heroic self-control, suggested that Trilby should come to his house in Fitzroy Square, first of all, and be taken out of all this, and the idea struck Taffy as a happy one, and it was proposed to Monsieur J., who saw that our three friends were old friends of Madame Svengali's, and people to be trusted, and he was only too glad to be relieved of her, and gave his consent. Little Billy and Taffy drove to Fitzroy Square to prepare little Billy's landlady, who was much put out at first having such a novel and unexpected charge imposed on her. It was all explained to her that it must be so, that Madame Svengali, the greatest singer in Europe and an old friend of her tenants, had suddenly gone out of her mind from grief at the tragic death of her husband, and that for this night at least the unhappy lady must sleep under that roof, indeed in little Billy's own bed, and that he would sleep at a hotel, and that a nurse would be provided at once. It might be only for that one night, and that the lady was quiet as a lamb, and would probably recover her faculties after a night's rest. A doctor was sent for from close by, and soon Trilby appeared, with the lad, and her appearance and her magnificent sables impressed Mrs. Godwin. The landlady brought her figuratively on her knees. Then Taffy, the laird, and little Billy departed again and dispersed to procure a nurse for the night, to find Gecko, to fetch some of Trilby's belongings from the Hotel de Normandie, and her maid. The maid, the old German Jewess and Svengali's relative, distracted by the news of her master's death, had gone to the theatre. Gecko was in the hands of the police. Things had got to a terrible pass, but our three friends did their best and were up most of the night. So much for Las Vengali's debut in London. The present scribe was not present on that memorable occasion, and has written this inadequate and most incomplete description, partly from hearsay and private information, partly from the reports in the contemporary newspapers. Should any surviving eyewitness of that lamentable fiasco read these pages, and see any gross inaccuracy in this bald account of it, P.S. will feel deeply obliged to the same for any corrections or additions, and these will be duly acted upon and gratefully acknowledged in all subsequent editions, which will be numerous, no doubt, on account of the great interest still felt in La Svengali, even by those who never saw or heard her, and they are many, and also because the present scribe is better qualified by his opportunities for the compiling of this brief biographical sketch than any person now living, with the exception, of course, of Taffy and the Laird, to whose kindness, even more than to his own personal recollections, he owes whatever it may contain of serious historical value. Next morning they all three went to Fitzroy Square. Little Billy had slept at Taffy's rooms in German Street. Trilby seemed quite pathetically glad to see them again. She was dressed simply and plainly, in black. Her trunks had been sent from the hotel. The hospital nurse was with her. The doctor had just left. He had said that she was suffering from some great nervous shock. A pretty safe diagnosis. 
her wits had apparently not come back, and she seemed in no way to realize her position. Ah, what it is to see you again, all three! It makes one feel glad to be alive. I've thought of many things, but never of this, never. Three nice, clean Englishmen, all speaking English, and such dear old friends. Ah, j'aime tant ça, c'est le ciel. I wonder I've got a word of English left. Her voice was so soft and sweet and low that these ingenious remarks sounded like a beautiful song. And she made the soft eyes at them all three, one after another, in her old way, and the soft eyes quickly filled with tears. She seemed ill and weak and worn out, and insisted on keeping the laird's hand in hers. What's the matter with Svengali? He must be dead. They all three looked at each other perplexed. Ah, he's dead. I can see it in your faces. He's got heart disease. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, very sorry indeed. He was always very kind, poor Svengali. Yes, he's dead, said Taffy. And Gecko, dear little Gecko, is he dead too? I saw him last night. He warmed my hands and feet. Where were we? No, Gecko's not dead. But he's had to be locked up for a little while. He struck Svengali, you know. You saw it all. I? No, I never saw it. But I dreamt something like it. Gecko with a knife and people holding him and Svengali bleeding on the ground. That was just before Svengali's illness. He'd cut himself in the neck, you know, with a rusty nail, he told me. I wonder how. But it was wrong of Gecko to strike him. They were such friends. Why did he? Well, it was because Svengali struck you with his conductor's wand when you were rehearsing. Struck you on the fingers and made you cry, don't you remember? Struck me? Rehearsing? Made me cry? What are you talking about, dear Taffy? Svengali never struck me. He was kindness itself, always. And what should I rehearse? Well, the songs you were to sing at the theatre in the evening. Sing at the theatre? I never sang at any theatre. Except last night, if that big place was a theatre, and they didn't seem to like it. I'll take precious good care never to sing in a theatre again. How they howled! And there was Svengali in the box opposite, laughing at me. Why was I taken there? And why did that funny little Frenchman in the white waistcoat ask me to sing? I know very well I can't sing well enough to sing in a place like that. What a fool I was! It all seems like a bad dream. What was it all about? Was it a dream, I wonder? Well, but you don't remember singing at Paris, in the Salle des Bachibazouks, and at Vienna, St. Petersburg, lots of places. What nonsense, dear. You're thinking of someone else. I never sang anywhere. I've been to Vienna and St. Petersburg, but I never sang there. Good heavens! Then there was a pause and our three friends looked at her helplessly. End of part three, part seventh. Recording by Estelle Jobson.